On this episode of That Was a Show. Kind of does make me want to go to Hawaii, even though they don't show much of Hawaii. It makes me want to do this with my life. I I don't know. None of it works. And the scene goes on forever. This scene was so boring that I don't think I was even paying attention. Actually, I really enjoy the reoccurring joke of how bad he was at being a stockbroker. He's like, I didn't know anything about being a stockbroker. You're my stockbroker. Morris is jacked. Yeah, for sure. He is. He's about to play a corrupt cop somewhere. Ugh, that ponytail is really offensive. I enjoy it. That was a show. That was a show? But was it? Apparently. I'm less and less convinced. (laughs) Cold open. We grew up during peak sitcom. Seinfeld, Friends, The Fresh Prince. But those shows were diamonds in the rough. This podcast is not about those diamonds. It's about the rough. Some sitcoms were briefly popular in their time. Some were canceled almost immediately. You probably won't recognize most of these, and you'll ask, that was a show? That was a show? The podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms from the 80s and 90s, starring Bryn Burney, Aaron Yeager, and Andrew Helmer as Barry. A Radio Gizmo production. (laughs) Hello, you two. How's it going? Uh, you know, it's okay. Keeping on, keeping on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. like this little piece of business where we're pretending that we haven't been talking for 40 minutes. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. We talk about things that are quite contrived, so why not us be contrived yeah. ourselves? This is true. This is true. So before we get into talking about Big Wave Daves, I'd like to take a little moment for audience outreach. We are so thankful and happy that you've all been listening to our podcast. And we would love to hear from you. So if you have any comments on any of these shows that we've been talking about, maybe you remember it from back in the day, or maybe you watched it and you listened to our episode and you have some thoughts or comments, we would love to hear it. There's a couple ways you can get in touch with us. If you go to anchor.fm slash that was a show, you can create a free account and then you can leave us a voice message. So that's fun. And maybe we'll even feature it in a future episode. Or you can email us. Our address is that was a show at AOL.com, AOL being the email service from the 90s, which for some strange reason still exists. If you've seen You've Got Mail, you remember. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, please follow us on Instagram and feel free to comment or uh, reach us that way. And check out the Trope Library where you can see our ongoing running tally of all of these tropes that we've been collecting from the various shows and audience outreach. (laughs) On the topic of outreach, I just love to take a moment to, like Aaron started to say, thank everyone who's been listening consistently, or even if you're a first time listener, thanks so much for joining us. Creating this podcast has been a huge joy and a way for us to, you know, connect with each other and connect with the world during a really rough, turbulent time. I'd love to take a moment to give everybody out there a virtual hug and just offer my best wishes to everybody. 
You know, there's so much going on everywhere. There's so much going on in the U.S. and right here in Canada, where we are, um, that's causing us all a lot of anxiety. So, yeah, just uh, much love to everybody out there. Another thing to mention, of course, is we're kind of grieving in this moment. Uh, Barry, you can. It was really funny how many people reached out to me uh, this week about this bit of news that came up. But uh, as people may or may not be aware, uh, legendary sitcom actress Conchetta Farrell passed away this week at the age of 77. We've talked a lot about Conchetta on the show. She was in Teen Angels. She was in Townies. And she's sure to pop up on a lot of other shows that we watch. She was just a wonderful energy. And like I know we've all been talking about is she was somebody that we really, really wanted to talk to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, she steals every scene that she's in. And we had really been hoping to one day speak with her. It was really sad that Hollywood and everybody lost uh, such a such a presence, you know. I guess we should move on to the the topic we bleh. I guess we should move on to this week's show, which was Big Wave Dave's. Uh what a show that was. Yeah. I guess I should do my intro, shouldn't I? Why don't you go ahead and I just I'll 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 segue into my own. Fuck it, we'll do it live. <laughs> <laughs> I'll play you in. Big Wave Dave's was a sitcom that aired for one season on CBS in 1993. And when I say one season, I mean six episodes, from August 9th, 1993, all the way to September 13th, 1993. (laughs) (laughs) It starred an impeccably stacked cast of Adam Arkin, Jane Kazermacki, David Morris, Kurt Woodsmith, and the other guy, Patrick Breen. It was created by two prolific sitcom writing partners, Ken Levine and David Isaacs, who worked on everything from M.A.S.H., Cheers, Frasier, and even a couple early episodes of The Simpsons. Big Wave Dave's or Big Dave's Wave or Dave Waves Big or any other permutation of the title I'm sure to blurt out over the next hour (laughs) was about three lifelong friends giving up the rat race of snowy Chicago who decide after a string of setbacks to just pull up their stakes and buy a surf shop in Hawaii. The shop will be the titular Big Wave Dave's, which has been a longtime dream of the friends over the years as David Morris's Dave is apparently prone to drunkenly going on about in their seemingly nightly drunken bitch sessions. You'd be forgiven for thinking Dave is the main character, being that his damn name is in both the title of the show and the shop, but that privilege goes to professional grocer Adam Arkin's Marshall. (laughs) There's a third friend, played by Patrick Breen, but he's so thinly sketched that I did not have a single remembrance of his name, and I refuse to look it up. Let's call him Steve. (laughs) His name's Richie, for the record. Fucking sure it is. Who knows? (laughs) Oh, and they also decide to bring along series lead Marshall's wife, Karen, played by sitcom powerhouse Jane Kaczmarek. Decided to bring along his wife, you say? Yeah, that's basically how this plays out. In every stretch of the word, Karen is a complete afterthought, not only to the friends, but also the series itself. That's it. That's the show. We watched two episodes. That's all we could track down. (laughs) So why did we do this show? Aaron, I'm really glad you asked. Now, the reason why we chose this show was because you said we needed to choose a show. And I said, I can't figure out a show to choose. And you said, how about Big Wave Dave's? And I said, "Okay, why not? (laughs) (laughs) That was that was why we chose this show. Okay, I mean, I guess if we're being realistic on the record about how this played out. How the hell did you even find this? You just shot it at me and I was just like, yeah, whatever. It's a show. The, re- <laughs> the reason we're doing Big Wave Dave's at this particular juncture 
is because you could loosely call it a fish out of water story with these three friends and the tacked on wife moving from Chicago to Hawaii and not really fitting in there. And sure. because we did uh, the two prior episodes that were fish out of water type of scenarios, we knew we wanted to do that type of premise. How did I find this show? I can't actually remember, but uh, it uh, it's one that I first saw the name somewhere a long time ago. And uh, just a stupid, stupid name. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, on that topic, apparently there actually is a big wave, Dave's. Yes. So <laughs> on the island of Oahu, where this show takes place, there actually is a half cafe, half surf shop called Big Wave Dave. There isn't an apostrophe S. It's Dave instead of Dave's. It's funny because, yeah, you're like, oh, it's a fish out of water thing. And like when I read the premise, I was like, yeah, surely this is going to be a fish out of water thing. Like, you know, it's three like yuppie city boys deciding to integrate themselves in a Hawaiian culture. Surely there's going to be some some weird cultural dissonance here. No, none. Absolutely no. none. Well, there's no there is no attempt at them being out of place. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's really weird that way. The only the only out of place thing is like how how this this poor woman has these men in her orbit. Okay, so these guys are super generic characters and I found like I guess my biggest problem with the show is just how cliché typical standard issue characters they are and the dynamic between them. I do know that you Barry are a huge advocate for learning about characters gradually and organically over time and not just laying out a whole bunch of detail in the first episode and forcing it all off the top. But we don't quite learn enough about them to connect and actually care about whether yeah, they succeed yeah, or fail. Yeah. Like there's not nothing, like this. No, not like, like this. <laughs> this is so generic that there isn't even anything that's like vaguely charming about them. A show like New Girl, which is a hangout show with a group of friends, gradually you get to know these characters over time. But there's enough about them right off the bat in terms of them just being interesting, likable people that you want to spend time with that it works. Or there are shows like The Good Place that are really high concept and plot driven. And you're like, OK, I need to know what happens next. Or there's shows like Detroiters with an extremely unique tone where you're just like every moment of this is intriguing to me. And it doesn't really matter how much you know about the characters or the plot. You're just like, there's something about this show that's interesting. This mm -hmm. is not one of those shows. This no. Is, this is a template-based show. I can wax poetic about how to write really deep characters on a sitcom, but like, it's not necessary. Most of the time on a sitcom, you just need to have a character that is somewhat relatable to a human being. Most people watch sitcoms because they can relate in some way to the plight, you know, of these characters. I'll say the one character that I was invested in was Karen. I thought she was like very funny and very charming. And she had like a lot of good, good oh, yeah. like attributes. And obviously Jane Kaczmarek played the shit out of her. Like it was really great. I, I don't know. Like, I think there's some sort of commentary that this show is trying to make about men like these guys, but I feel like there's something about it that was so flat. Like, were they afraid to fully lean into it? Like, I think like there's moments where it feels like they're trying to sort of satirize like that idea that privileged white guys like them kind of fail upwards and get all these opportunities and get to do things that they're not really qualified to do. 
I feel like there's sort of some sort of commentary happening, but it doesn't quite fully develop. There's all these jokes about how Dave was a really incompetent stockbroker and how he's just been full of shit his whole life. And and Marshall has only only got his job at the law firm because his dad ran the place and then his dad passed away and so he got fired yeah and he's always just like whining about things and richie is i I don't know what his whole quirk is supposed to be but like i feel like there is some commentary they never really get into richie so who knows yeah so it feels like there's something being commented on there but they're afraid to fully go into it I guess maybe because it was 1993 and... Okay, we've got these three befuddled guys and we're going to have this female character who is smarter and more savvy than them. And she's not the funny one. She's always the one who looks at them and sighs and says, oh, you guys. But she and is then- funny. She is the funny one, yeah. She, she's quick and clever. I, I think when you say cookie cutter, you mean is that usually this character would be the cookie cutter one, whereas the way she plays it is different. For sure. She's very good. So she plays it more dynamically than I think is on the page. What I'm saying is we're laughing with her. We're laughing Mm -hmm. at them. Yeah. And that's typical. Like, yep. She's not a character like the female leads on Friends or like Elaine on Seinfeld or any of these cases where the female characters and the male characters are on the same playing field as being all lovable clowns. Yeah, she's never she's never treated as a true equal on the show. Ever. No. Yeah. She's treated as a prop to be a comparison point to how incompetent they are. Oh, isn't yeah. it funny that the female character is the one who actually is savvy and knows what she's doing? The show keeps making these points of like she solves all their goddamn problems for them. Yeah. Never does she seem like she has any like actual hopes and dreams of her own beyond cleaning up yeah. their mess. That's what I'm yes. trying to say. Yes. yes. Yeah. She's there to clean up their messes. Yeah. It's the male ego run wild and they're a bunch of man children. And yeah. she's the one who's just like always there to pick up the pieces. And it's it's very one dimensional. She doesn't have any of her own quirks or flaws or anything. You yes. know? So they, they they do fall back on the ever reliable. She's like a type A like yeah. right, hard right, worker, right, right. and yeah. like that's that's such a stock female character yeah. that it's just like yeah. I guess that's that's what I was trying to get at is that she's there to clean up their messes, and it doesn't bother her that she's always cleaning up their messes. Right. She seems sort of yeah. in a way happy and amused about right. It's almost yeah. like she enjoys getting to clean up their messes. It'd be at least yeah. one thing. If she was perturbed by having to clean up their messes. I mean. She seems to like it. Also. I mean, a way around that, a a way to solve that kind of thing. And obviously, who knows where they were going with this show? It didn't really have an opportunity to build on it. They were not going anywhere with this show. Right, right. But the way to kind of make it more three-dimensional would be she likes cleaning up their messes because she likes to be the puppet master and she likes to, you know, manipulate them all to get to do what, like, she has bigger plans, right? So that would be more interesting. Yeah, I like that. That's fun. If she gradually got them to carry out her bidding. And maybe her whole type A thing becomes expressed in other ways. Like maybe she's obsessed with fitness and like when she gets anxious, she suddenly starts doing push-ups or some crazy thing like that. But, you know, we never get to see her develop like that at all. She's always comes in at predictable moments to kind of 
tell them they're all idiots. My biggest problem with it is like, and I, I, I wrote a little note where I was just like, you know, this character would work better as his ex-wife because I just felt bad for her. I was I like, know. why do you have to be stuck in this relationship where you have a, a useless husband who does nothing but grouse all the yeah. time, who uproots his entire life and your entire life yeah. with like very little regard for your actual <laughs> thoughts on it? Well, I mean, he does ask her at the beginning. She she basically like is like, no, we should do it. I, and I felt like in that moment you were like, yeah, because she's just beaten down. She's used right. to like putting up with these three idiots and they're going to do whatever they want to do. It's kind of like if you stop whining, we'll do it. <laughs> like, yeah. If it will make you stop whining forever. Yeah. Oh, they're beyond idiots. They're numbskulls like the three stooges. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing could ever stop Adam Arkin from whining. I mean, the perfect thing would be just like, yeah, go off. Go off to Hawaii, do your thing, and I'll be rid of all of you forever. Like, <laughs> it's like I was saying when we were watching it. I had to see she she agrees so quickly to go to Hawaii with them that my brain was just like, I think she's getting out of a bad affair and she needs to get she needs to put some distance. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna start blackmailing her or something. Like, and she's just she's like, away I really want to put some distance between this. Let's let's flee. Having said all that about these specific characters. The one part of this show that does track for me is their desire to suddenly just bug out and move to Hawaii. Barry, have you ever been to Hawaii? No. Do okay. I look like a me man who's been to Hawaii? So <laughs> I went to Hawaii for three days a few years back for a film festival. And there was not one minute that passed while I was there that I mm -hmm. didn't think, hmm, do I want to move here? Maybe. It really is a remarkable place. And... It's really its own unique place. It's not like the rest of the United States. It's not part of North America. It's nothing like the US or Canada. It's its own place. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that is recognizable as overlapping with the rest of America there. Mm. But it really is a unique place. And it's not just the climate. There's a completely different vibe there. It is like someone visiting Paris or Italy and thinking, ooh, I wonder what it would be like to live here. Like it's a different place. So the idea that they would just have this ongoing conversation over years of like, maybe one day we should move to Hawaii. And one day, like one of them loses their job, another one's going through a divorce and they're just like, let's do it. That part actually tracks for me. However. Yeah, it's it's America's escape plan. Yes. Yeah. However, the idea that they would buy and run a surf shop in <laughs> Hawaii is ridiculous because one of them, Dave, who names the place, he... Do they call him Big Dave? Why Big Dave? Oh, his arms. It was his arms. No, Big Wave Dave. Big, oh, yeah, right. it's a big wave. Big. He's not the big. Wave the waves big. are big. The waves are big. And, and yes, his arms are big, too. David Morris is jacked. He's really jacked. I was really distracted in the pilot because he wears like a sleeveless shirt, and I was just like, the muscles. It's... <laughs> Yeah, anyway. <laughs> there was a sleeve shortage in 1993. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave has a vague interest in the idea of surfing and has maybe gone surfing once. Clearly doesn't know how. Well, it says he went 15 years prior. He went to Hawaii 15 yeah, years like he prior. Went, yeah. But he keeps going on about how maybe he didn't even go. Yeah. Maybe he didn't even go. <laughs> maybe he convinced himself that he went. The other two guys are not even interested in surfing. Yeah. Karen has no interest in surfing. None of them have any knowledge of the sport. 
None of them have any knowledge of Hawaii. So this idea of the three guys wanting to move to Hawaii, that part makes sense to me. Yeah. But there's 1.4 million people who live in Hawaii and they aren't all running surf shops. There are other things that you can do there. And if the premise of this show was these three guys who spend half their lives hanging out in a bar saying, hey, wouldn't it be cool to move to Hawaii and run a bar on a beach? That would make sense. Yeah. Now you have cheers in Hawaii. I'm on board. But now that they've brought in this whole surfing thing, none of them know how to surf. We never get to see anyone surf. Thinking about that concept of the promise of the premise. Yeah. If this show is about surfing and we never even catch a glimpse of surfing, I find that so irritating. Not to mention, like, Hawaii is a beautiful place with unique geography. Could they not, like, spring for, I don't know, 30 seconds of stock footage or something <laughs> to give a little bit of a flavor of what Hawaii looks like. Yeah. An establishing shot of just <laughs> surfing people would have been yeah. a yeah. great boon but to this. Aaron, if they didn't open the surf shop, it wouldn't be called Big Wave Dave's. Like they couldn't have that title. That's a name for a bar. You could <laughs> yeah. easily make yeah, that yeah. name. If for it a was bar. a bar on a beach, you could still use that name because honestly, the waves there are huge. Yeah. One of them stole my sunglasses. The Dave's not so much. Average size Dave. Average size Dave's there. David Morse is big. He is a big guy. There's no real good way to segue into it, but I, I realized that when I was talking, like introing the show, I didn't mention the other cast member played by absolute legend and man who killed Ale Officer Alex Murphy in RoboCop, Kurtwood Smith. Um, <laughs> Kurtwood Smith, who is, of course, best known for his uh, portrayal as Red of Red Foreman on that 70s show, is the other cast member on Big Dave's Wave. Fuck, Big, Big Wave Dave's. And uh, he basically plays a... <sighs> He he plays like a, a Hawaii local who's had enough of their shit. He's a burned also, out Vietnam War veteran. But he's also a millionaire who moved there and like he's also exactly like them. So Yeah. He's just more eccentric. At first I thought there was a commentary going on where like this is what they become after being there in thirty right. years. But no, they just really didn't want to cast anyone of Hawaiian descent. Yeah. Uh, so they just got Kurtwood Smith to come in. And I know when we were watching it, Aaron, you were saying like, oh, he's like a wacky neighbor uh, trope. And like he is. But because he's played by Kurtwood Smith, he demands so much respect yeah. that like <laughs> he's never an annoyance to them. They're an annoyance to him, even though he's intruding on their life. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of that point of lack of authenticity in the cast. Yeah. Oh, man. So, is this just yeah, it's rough. white? So, well, yeah. so it's very white. And yeah, the thing about Hawaii is that it's a very diverse place. And that's one of the exciting things about it. It's a lost opportunity to really show that aspect of Hawaii because you have the native Hawaiians. You have yeah. other Pacific Islanders and... Uh, it's the only state in the United States that is less than 50% white. And in fact, the largest population in Hawaii is Asian, East and Southeast Asian people, specifically Filipino and Japanese people, make up a substantial proportion of the population there. The idea that there wouldn't be even one Asian character in this series is offensive. And it is completely impossible if this was yeah. actually 
authentically to yeah. t- to be believed as taking place in Hawaii. I mean, the only way I could think of it is like nobody who no no one Hawaiian would ever shop at that terrible terrible surf shop. They yeah. know better. They can just <laughs> see it from the outside that a real surfer or a real like just they're not going in there. Yeah. You know. Um yeah, that's, it's that's weird. True. It's, it's it's weird to see it because like it wants to be about Hawaii, but it's obviously still yeah. shot in LA and it's still or or New York or wherever they were shooting it and like it just it isn't in any way interested in Hawaii. It's, yeah. it's all such lip service. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah it, I mean, pay, it pays no actual interest in Hawaii. True. I mean, yeah. there is one character who's written to be a, a native Hawaiian, and that's Lahua, who is the love interest of Richie. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> issues with that whole thing. You know, she barely has any lines. Well, in the two episodes we've seen, yeah. she doesn't speak a she doesn't speak a word. Egg, yeah, I think she says hi or something. Nope. Um nope. I, I don't know. Anyway, and it becomes a whole shtick for Richie's character to try to learn the language and learn about the culture, and that becomes just like a punchline. And it's like Yeah. I think the implication is that she probably doesn't speak English at all. Um like she's that sitcom character where like right. she's like in a relationship with her and she's yeah she's in a relationship with the goofy sitcom character and that that that's it that's her whole character mm-hmm. yeah she's like a prop for him to have a shtick essentially yeah, she, yeah. Unfortunately. She, she's the opposite of Klinger's wife basically <laughs> like yeah she has nothing to say or add to the proceedings yeah. We've seen a we've seen a the third of the series and she makes no mark upon the show whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, she could have had more stuff in the other episodes, but somehow I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, somehow I completely doubt yeah. it as yeah. well. Jane Kasmerick has this line in the first scene where we meet her that was like the part of the show I genuinely liked. Marshall uh first comes home and they're presenting the idea of moving to Hawaii and she suddenly says that she's on board for it. And then she says she's also unhappy with the law firm where she's been working. And Marshall says, oh, I didn't know that. And he, he, he seems to like this is the first time he's hearing that she's unhappy. And she slaps his leg and says, well, we haven't had much time for me, have we? And that was a genuine laugh. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's, it's good. It's a sad laugh. A sad it's a, laugh, it, it, yeah. It's a sad laugh. It's sad, but it's also like, the whole point is, yeah, like, he's so fucking needy that yeah. and then she fo- everything has been about him and his problems and his, you know. Exactly. And then she follows that up with, now one of you come to bed. Like, yeah. the three friends are in the bedroom there. Now one of you yeah. come to bed. <laughs> So nice one-two punch of jokes from her. I, yeah. I would have cast her in Malcolm in the Middle based on that one scene. Right. Like, she's yeah. great. I mean, on that scene, it is a pretty clever scene because basically yeah. the guys, after having a bunch of drinks at their local watering hole, they decide, oh, my God, we're going to do this. We're going to we're gonna finally do this. Oh, but we got to we gotta ask Karen because, you know, like... Yeah, you know, yeah. She's actually married to Marshall, and we'll have. Imp- <laughs> she's like, a human. Yeah, she's a. She's a, you know. Oh, she's a factor in this whole thing. <laughs> so yeah, so they all three show up at Marshall's home and barge into the bedroom and wake her up and talk to her about this. And you know, she has another funny line where she's like, "Oh, the last time all three of you came in here like this, he uh, Marshall was proposing to me." So it's like one funny little 
tidbit about this group of friends that is presented, you know, like they have this weird trio of codependents where they all like kind of conspire to do things together. So that I thought that was kind of clever. Like that whole scene is kind of clever. It's an interesting dynamic in that she's essentially she knows she married him. So she knows she's basically married to all three of them. Yeah. 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 And and actually, like that idea of these three guys having this sort of ride or die friendship where they all collectively decide to move to Hawaii and then she jumps on board for it. It reminds me of a lot of movies that present an ensemble cast that have that kind of long standing friendship where sure. they where they just like they're on board for whatever uh, a movie like Horrible Bosses. And I guess one of my beefs with this show is that from the outset, it's just expository dialogue of a little bit of backstory and then they convince her and then they all move to Hawaii. I would have loved if the show just opened with one scene for each of the characters getting to see why they're fed up with living where they are. Like, don't tell me about it. Just spend. Yeah, just show us. Yeah. yeah, Give me 60 seconds with each of those three guys and then maybe 60 seconds with with Karen. But it's. It shows it. Yeah, but it is tough because they want to get them to Hawaii. Like, they need to get them to Hawaii. (laughs) Well, and they would have had to build more sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's money. It was all very cheaply produced, obviously. Like, they didn't have a a great budget, you know? Yeah, I mean, the the whole show just feels like it was like a tax write-off or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They just needed to put something on TV, and they were like, whatever. Yeah. You know, all these guys have pilots that weren't picked up. Let's just throw them together. Yeah. Jack Lord looking down on their mainland bullshit, that part also tracks. The idea of someone who has been living in Hawaii for decades, yeah. just just being exasperated with these yeah. tourists. Yeah, that- Jack Jack Lord being Kurt Woodsmith's yes. character. Yeah, but it's just so weird that he's all that he's like. Why would they give that character? Why would he just be another old white man? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's weird. It's it's you look at it from this like 1993 lens, like oh, how would they make this show now? But I don't know if they would make this show now. I just no. think it would be something people wouldn't be okay with. Like no. they, they wouldn't, they probably you know. wouldn't make this now. Well, I mean, let's put it this way: after Lost ended, there was a shit ton of people who worked and lived in Hawaii for you know, however, I think it was on for six years, right? Six years. So all these producers, set, you know, these crews and, and actors and whatnot lived in Hawaii. And when that show ended, none of them wanted to come back to the US, probably yeah. because of things that Aaron was saying. So what did they do? Even though it didn't share like producers or writers, they rebooted Hawaii Five O essentially so these crews wouldn't go out of work. And I bet you they pitched a bunch of ideas. So maybe, maybe that's the only way the show would make it on the air today is if they were like try if Hawaii Five O yeah. was over and the crew didn't want to leave. Yeah, that is a thing. And then also like things that have shot there, and then Hawaii has a huge military presence. So the fact that that character and his like fishing boat buddy who comes up in episode six are both Vietnam War veterans. That is a realistic reason why they would be there. 
Right. Was this filmed there? I don't think this was. No, filmed. not a chance. Not a no, chance. No, 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 no. A, a soundstage in Burbank. Like, this is not even remotely. Yeah. Nobody, nobody involved has ever even no. been to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, clearly, no one involved. They went on a couple of vacations, and they're like, hmm. <laughs> now I know why I kept thinking it was New York, and I had to rewrite it, even though they keep saying I have to go back to Chicago. I have to go back to Chicago. Literally, every synopsis of the show says New York City. Really? <laughs> Does it really? Ugh. Here, two friends leave New York City and buy a surf shop in Hawaii. Oh, a that's long time weird. Tr- they don't even remember the other huh. friend. Because I think Wikipedia says yeah, Chicago. Yeah, you know what? Maybe that was the original iteration of the show. Maybe it was originally... Because if you think about it, they just kind of slot the third friend in there and there's no character development. So it very well could have been... Yeah, two friends yeah. and it could have been in New York and then they were like oh like there's too many things set in New York let's set something in Chicago because the weather is yeah. extra bad even though the weather in New York is especially yeah. bad I mean in Chicago the has winter. worse blizzards in yeah. winter than New York and yeah. those opening shots and that, that opening sequence that looks like news yeah. footage b-roll from the uh, early 90s <laughs> Uh, Chicago is always used by by US writers as like if you want a city that has like bad weather it's always Chicago and when we watched episode 6 we get to see the opening sequence that replaces the one that was in the pilot where it no longer shows the blizzard scenes from Chicago and it instead just shows shots of Hawaii the way that the show establishes where they live before they move to Hawaii is through mm-hmm. these shots in that opening title sequence in the pilot where it's these blizzard scenes in the streets of Chicago. And then they move to Hawaii and by like scene three, we're in Hawaii, never to return. And so there's something that I'm trying to resolve in the idea that that they were presenting that as a visual in the opening titles as opposed mm-hmm. to just a scene. There was an immediate necessity built in to have to change the opening title sequence after the pilot. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Because it would never that... make sense to return to that visual. It's weird, yeah. it's weird that they spent the money on the op- on opening credits that they weren't going to use. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, they could have opened it with a beautiful Hawaii shot and then faded into the terrible. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. But... Yeah, yeah, that's a fun bait and switch, too. Yeah, yeah that sounds way more interesting than anything on this show. <laughs> This is a little detail, but it was nagging at me. Uh, in the first episode, that second scene where we first meet Karen and they're in that bedroom of the apartment or the home, and Marshall approaches the bed to sit next to his wife and pitch her the idea of moving to Hawaii. There's a mm-hmm. super aggressive camera move where the camera jumps into position to frame them up together on the bed. And it's like nothing I've ever seen in a three camera sitcom before. Like, I don't know if it was a mistake or if it was purposeful, but it's like a Scorsese Steadicam shot. Like, it just swoops in aggressively. I wish I noticed this. <laughs> I didn't notice For some either. reason, I always notice those things. It's weird. In the sitcoms that I guess we remember from that era that are the shows that we still watch and are really popular in streaming now, like, if you mm-hmm. go back and, and watch them now, the camera work is very polished. The sound design is very polished, like on a technical level, even though three camera sitcoms all have a certain look to them, there is a level of polish and sort of excellence in the way that that's executed. And it's always funny to see something that's just a little off. 
this running gag between Kurtwood's character. Jack, Jack Lord. Jack Lord. Which, I'm sorry, that's a great name. Yeah. They're talking Jack about Lord. Jack Lord in a way where are we to understand that that's a real, like, famous person from Hawaii? Uh, like a famous surfer? Jack Lord uh, was a, a, oh, God. Jack Lord is a, he's an actor. Oh. Oh, look. Sorry. So this is us just not having watched the show. Jack Lord was, the like, the lead of Hawaii Five-O. Oh, okay. Original Hawaii Five-O. Oh. Okay, that makes more sense now. So- the Jack Lord character in this show has a running gag with Dave where they're both super into Hemingway and they keep exchanging Hemingway quotes and lines from I'm glad I'm glad you brought this yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did find that kind of amusing, but I also thought to myself, well there's no way they can keep this going for an indefinite number of episodes. Like th this well is going to run dry real quick. But I mean, I do kind of find that amusing. But of course, these guys are fans of Hemingway. No, but I'd like, like to point out, I'd like to point out as a man who's read a lot of Hemingway in his day, they did not have a big well. They clearly, the writers read Old Man in the Sea and associated that with that and then just applied that. Yeah. <laughs> Old Man in the Sea is the only thing they reference from Hemingway and the, and they beat it into the ground. <laughs> Their weird fascination with Hemingway did not come with much actual knowledge or research of Hemingway. Right. And then episode six, the premise of this episode involves them going marlin fishing on this fishing boat with a buddy of Jack Lord uh, named Wally. And this is where we finally get into a bang on gay panic joke. Yeah. I was wondering how many- A staple of 90s sitcoms, a, a, unfortunately. A staple of 90s sitcoms, but I was wondering how many of these failed and forgotten shows we'd have to get through till there was something this on the nose of all the shows that we have reviewed so far on this podcast. This was the most obvious example of one of these terrible jokes that stuck out to me. And this kind of picks up on that thread of the Hemingway running gag with the marlin fishing. I wasn't sure where they were going with this initially when Wally points out the idea of latent homosexuality in Moby Dick. So I couldn't tell for certain in that moment if they were laughing at that or laughing with that and what the goal was with that joke. But then he follows it up with this, I see you're more the Truman Capote type line when he thinks that Marshall isn't tough enough. And that's where I was like, okay, there it is. There it is. There's your gay panic joke. There yeah. it is. And of course, they go back to that same Truman Capote joke. Oh, yeah. Like he just starts calling him Capote, times. doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. For the rest of that episode, it just keeps coming up over and over. And then I'm like, okay, well. We get it. Like, get yeah. it. My favorite thing about jokes like that is that not only, so they wouldn't fly on TV today, and it's not even because of the gay panic. It's that- Expecting an average TV audience to be that well read today is just—it's <laughs> just a yeah. big ask. To know, like, the only reason people would know who Truman Capote is is because of the movie Capote. <laughs> yeah, even that—that that movie's sixteen years old. That's, That's too true. old for most of oh, these boy, people. That movie is that old. Wow. Oh man! Oh man! Oh man! That's the early '90s in a nutshell. To be yeah. able to make an offensive joke, but to do so with a literary reference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's okay because it's sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Let's put it that way. That joke could definitely sail on Frasier for sure. Oh.
And then there's a, a gag in that episode where Marshall is reeling in the fish. And he's clearly in this physical position where he's straining and holding the fishing rod. And it's this visual metaphor for giving birth. It's clearly like a joke based on the fact that his wife is pregnant and he's the one who's like struggling physically with this thing. And it's obvious that that's what the joke is. But then uh -huh. they but then they have yep. to go and drop a line of dialogue where she remarks, hey, this is like what I'm going to be going through. You know, when I'm giving birth, it's like, uh, yeah, thanks for making her explain to us. There's a weird throw line in episode six where, like, for some reason, like, she is really concerned about how he's going to handle the birth. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, my God. But then there's no... Well, I guess there is a commentary on it. It's going to be tough for me, but Ugh. the the real problem is, like, how is he going to put up with it? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Ugh. As we come to the end of this episode, I feel like I, I, I just didn't make this point enough. I cannot think of a more unpleasant sitcom character than Adam Arkin's Marshall. He is just no fun to be around. <laughs> All he does is complain and bitch and moan. Yeah. And I felt sorry for every single character in his orbit because yeah. he is just a black hole. <laughs> <laughs> if like... Eeyore ran a surf shop, yeah. but it wasn't trying to be an interesting explanation of depression. Oh. Like, it's just, ugh. I hate, I every second he was on screen, and this is somebody, I like Adam Arkin. He's great. Who doesn't love Adam Arkin? Oh, this character is just the worst. Yeah. Hate him. Hate him. I hate, I hate him for what he's doing to his poor, wonderful wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know right. if that's the reason why it was canceled, but that's the reason it should have been canceled. <laughs> this show couldn't have possibly been intended to air. Like they put it on in August and it ended in September and like it must have been a burn off. <laughs> <laughs> it's that time again for six degrees of friends. All right, let's do this. Big Wave Dave's is separated from Friends by two degrees. Okay, what are those two degrees, Bryn? So, Kurtwood Smith, who plays Jack Lord on Big Wave Dave's, went on to play Red Foreman on That 70s Show, and his wife on that show was Kitty Foreman, played by the wonderful Deborah Jo Rupp. Woo. Who, of course, also played Alice Knight Buffet, a recurring character on Friends. And so I appreciate that it wasn't Phoebe Buffet, but I see we've got another Buffet. It is still a Buffet family connection, but... It's all right. It's okay. It's okay. Gotta yeah. take right. one more trip back to the Buffet. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Lord almighty. Just to pull back the curtain a little bit for everybody, my first move when I'm doing my connection is always checking if anyone in the main cast has just guest starred on Friends or had been on Friends. And in this case, I'm so surprised that none of them had. Yeah, I was thinking Adam Arkin. Yeah, but, but then no. I, but, but then I was like, no, 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 no. Like, it, it, I, it was George Clooney. I was thinking of George <laughs> Clooney. <laughs> yeah, he's the poor man's George Clooney. <laughs> Aw. No, like Chicago Hope. Was, you know, the discount ER. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. All right. So I guess we should just go right into the spinoff as well. All these people. Exactly. All of these people in the main cast of Big Wave Daves went on to do a ton of television and movies. A lot of people remember Jane Kaczmarek 
from her role as Lois on Malcolm in the Middle. She was nominated for multiple Emmys and Golden Globes for this role, so it was a big success for her. Uh, Kurtwood Smith, as we've mentioned a couple of times already, went on to play Red Foreman, and it's significant to this group here because that's kind of an iconic dad from sitcoms of our youth. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and he's just, you know, he's been in tons of movies and television. He's an icon. Oh, he um, continues to work to this yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, every, all all, all of, of these people do. All of these people yeah. are working. David Morse, I found very funny to, uh, to see him in this show because I usually associate him with like intense, dramatic characters. Yeah, he's, a, he's a gruff cop dad. Yeah, he is. He plays intense and yeah. or creepy characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what was that movie where he played the like creepy father, like neighbor guy? Disturbia. Disturbia. Yeah. 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 So he's in Disturbia and he's the scary guy who terrorizes Shia LaBeouf. And he's also like a corrupt cop in 16 blocks. So he's always kind of a scary dude in things. So it was was like kind of weird to see him in this kind of role. Uh, I don't know why I find it weird that you've seen 16 blocks. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And Patrick Breen. He's also still working, and most recently he did a stint on a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, he was Larry, your waiter. Yeah. Um, All of the writers as well went on to do other sitcoms. Ken Levine and David Isaacs went on to write for Frasier and Becker. You know, like they were, you know, we talked about them a little bit in our After MASH episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another fun fact, the other two credited writers are Rob Long and Dan Staley. Now, they wrote for Kevin Can Wait and are probably (laughs) co-conspirators in the very controversial decision to kill off Aaron Hayes' character, which we won't go into because this is a a show about 90s and 80s sitcoms. But, you know, if you don't know about this situation, go ahead and Google it because it's messed up. I have no idea what you're talking about. Aaron, of course you do. Sorry, buddy. We're talking about it now. (laughs) Kevin Can Wait is a is a terrible sorry, Kevin James, if you're one of our avid listeners. Kevin Can Wait clearly is not, but Oh, he loves it. He loves he loves it. Kevin Can Wait is a sitcom with Kevin James, and his wife in it was played by very, very funny Aaron Hayes. And audiences weren't quite apparently connecting with her wife character so they kill her off between seasons what? and bring back in Leia Remney oh from- that story okay yes, yeah. come on you know about this it is now an iconic moment in sitcom history it is a big big thing that happened because now they're doing that show Kevin can fuck himself yes they sure are what we have talked We've about Kevin talked can about fuck this. himself a bunch of times Kevin can fuck himself. Uh, Are you is, saying there's an actual show called Kevin can fuck it's himself? It's coming out, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, I think Showtime. Yeah, Sh- Showtime picked it up. It's basically about it's about a sitcom wife who starts gaining like. It's kind of like Hi, Honey, I'm Home. Like, yeah, it's about her gaining like self awareness of the situation of being married to a sitcom schlubby loser. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be played as both a comedy and a drama. It's going to be doing both three camera setups and single camera setups. Recent Emmy Award winner Annie Murphy is playing the lead. Oh, cool. All 
All right, Mr. Producer, what have you got for me? Oh boy, have I got a show for you. It's called Big Wave Dave's. It's about three yuppies from Chicago that moved to Hawaii to open a surf shop. Okay, I think I can see it. So what kind of obstacles will they have to overcome? None. Everything's just going to fall into place because one of the guy's wives will basically solve everything for them. Oh, so naturally they'll all be pretty thankful to this woman who makes all of their lives better and puts up with their shit? Of course not. They'll just dismiss her as a joyless shrew at every conceivable chance they get. Oh, thank God. Okay, as a television producer, I am naturally terrified of women. We all are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was fun. We had a lot of laughs. But some things are no laughing matter. What did we all learn from Big Wave Daves? I learned that you can set a show in Hawaii but not show any of Hawaii. (laughs) Thanks for listening to our episode on Big Wave Daves. We'd love it if you would take a moment to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. It would really help us out so that more people can discover the show. And cut to credits. That Was a Show is a production of Radio Gizmo. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram for info about upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends about it. Next time on That Was a Show. Isn't Iron Man last name Stark? Yes. And first name Tony? Ah, yes. And so Tony Shalhoub playing Ian Ian Stark. Ian Stark, yeah. Combines the two. Ian Stark is just a... That's an author name. Yeah. Like, that sounds like an author name. That's a book cover name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timely. Right? Yeah, Yeah, they opened on a hand sanitizer joke. And then, then, is it this episode or the next episode where they talk about the pit, like, being exposed to an airborne pandemic? It's too real. (laughs) Radio Gizmo.